Macrocast, the sound of the economic world, with Gilles Moeck, AXA Group Chief Economist. As Joe Biden made his first major economic speech last week, it seems that the impending US election is shaping the complex post-pandemic equation for governments all around the world. Offering enough accommodation after the emergency package to help the mechanical post-lockdown rebound turn into a proper recovery, as well as respond to a profound change in public opinion in favor of more economic protection from the government. At the same time, they will have to lay the ground for a sustainable public debt trajectory which cannot count on internal monetary policy forbearance. We think that ideally, fiscal authorities should engage in forward guidance, that is, provide economic agents with an explicit, albeit flexible, sequence for the fiscal stance across the next three to five years. But how can this forward-looking orientation be shaped, given the many accidents that can derail such a roadmap, starting with the volatility of parliamentary majority? Some possible answers to follow. It's Monday, July the 13th. I'm Gilles Moek, and you're listening to Macrocast. At the moment across the world, everything conspires to push public debt higher. The fiscal balance deteriorates because, first, the recession takes tax receipts down and mechanically raises some spending items, for instance, unemployment benefits, And second, governments launch significant stimulus programs. These are the automatic stabilizers at play in the first mechanism, the cyclical component of the deficit rises. In the second mechanism, the structural or discretionary component of the deficit increases. Monetary policy can help to make this sustainable, but it cannot prevent public debt from rising. Even after the extraordinary accommodation offered by the central banks, the collapse in GDP is so deep that the gap between R, the government's funding cost, and G, the economy's growth rate remains huge. Past the peak of the pandemic crisis, when economies start normalizing, every government will have to navigate between, first, a readiness not to kill the recovery by moving too quickly to fiscal restraint, thus not replicating the collective mistake of 2010, and two, an effort at making their public debt trajectory monetary policy-proof, that is, ensuring sustainability after central banks start normalizing their policy. We think explicitly making the fiscal stance dependent on progress towards closing the output gap could be the right pathway, allowing sustained support to the economy at a time of need while keeping investors on board. This will be dependent on swift cooperation between governments and central banks, though. The first step is to recognize the importance of the government's fiscal policy and the shape of the recovery. This was at the root of the policy mistake of 2010, when governments were persuaded that fiscal tightening could be implemented with negligible impact on growth. Olivier Blanchard's famous piece in the IMS World Economic Outlook of October 2012, on which he expanded in a January 2013 paper, you can th find the link in the episode description, made the point forcefully. It could trace the IMF's forecasting error post-2010 to using a far too low multiplier coefficient, that is, by how much one unit of fiscal retrenchment reduces GDP. One of Blanchard's key points was that the value of the multiplier changes across economic circumstances, and that it is particularly high when monetary policy has hit the zero bound on nominal interest rates. This is quite intuitive. If interest rates are already at zero before the fiscal retrenchment starts, then monetary policy cannot offset its impact on aggregate demand. This limit obviously applies today. Blanchard's point on multipliers rising well above one in times of extreme crises and monetary policy limitations can be consistent with self-defeating fiscal consolidations. Let's consider a case in which the multiplier is equal to two, and Blanchard quotes Auerbach and Gordinechko, who put the value of the multiplier at up to 2.5 in times of recession. 
Then, if a government reduces the structural component of its deficit by 1% of GDP, that is, engages in a tighter fiscal stance, then GDP falls by 2%. Since the elasticity of the cyclical component of the deficit to GDP is robustly estimated at 0.5 in European countries, the overall deficit, the sum of the structural and the cyclical components, is unchanged. Governments end up with less growth and no fiscal gain. This alone would argue in favor of trading extremely carefully with the fiscal stance immediately after exiting the COVID recession. This much is probably consensual. But the real debate is on the speed at which a consolidation should be considered after that. This entails a discussion on the long-term effect of the recession. Two forces will work in the opposite direction. First, hysteresis. That is the notion that a recession can deteriorate a trend or potential GDP growth as unemployment can permanently deplete human capital, or that the collapse in CapEx triggers a capital deficit and a slowdown in productivity growth, which can lower the speed limit of the economy. Second, creative destruction. The notion that crises force a relocation of labor and capital towards the most productive sectors, which ultimately lifts aggregate output. Recessions there act as a sort of unpleasant but ultimately positive purges of the system. If creative destruction dominates, then providing fiscal support for long is the wrong approach. The debate is far from settled, but in modern economies of the last 30 years, the net effect of these two forces has been negative more often than not. The only exceptions are the early 1980s recessions in the US and in the UK, which were followed by an acceleration in potential growth. We would tend to interpret those two recessions as the result of a conscious decision to purge a previously malfunctioning economic model, and that was the model of stagflation of the 1970s. Recession, ushering in powerful structural reforms, can lift potential growth. And similar developments were observed in Sweden and Canada in the early 1980s. This is, in a way, a sort of policy-driven creative destruction process. But the ongoing COVID-driven recession is a purely exogenous shock which owes nothing to any internal malfunction. That it will have some lasting scaring effects is the most plausible assumption in our view. We already argued in Macrocast that while the current acceleration in state-guaranteed loans is unsurprisingly reopening of cessation on the zombification of parts of the European corporate sector, Assessing whether too much support is granted is going to be difficult, since lockdowns do not follow an economic logic and perfectly viable businesses can be jeopardized. Relying on creative destruction dynamics to justify a quick withdrawal of policy support is very risky in our view. When should fiscal policy move to a tighter stance then? We argue this should happen just before the economy has closed the output gap, that is, that GDP has not only returned to its pre-pandemic level, but also that it has recouped all the missed growth, that is, how much it should have grown while it was in recession. Indeed, as the economy closes the output gap, unemployment returns to its structural level, wage dynamics normalize, and, at least in theory, inflation goes back to the central bank target. If governments are credible on their fiscal stance, the central bank will take its impact on the economy into consideration. In the absence of a pre-announced fiscal consolidation, an imminent closure at the output gap would be the signal for the central bank to prepare a tightening in monetary policy to adjust to the acceleration in inflation. However, with a looming counter-cyclical move from the government, the central bank would postpone its own policy normalization, anticipating the delay in closing the output gap the fiscal move will trigger. 
exactly as the ECB explicitly argued a few weeks ago, that the current juncture, monetary policy alone, cannot keep the economy on a path consistent with price stability, and that fiscal policy needs to help, the ECB in a few years from now could explain that given the start of the fiscal tightening, it does not need to hike rates as much and as quickly as it would normally do, given the looming inflationary pressure. With policy rates maintained close to zero, and the government bonds acquired during QE continuing to be reinvested, governments could proceed gradually with their fiscal tightening, since interest expenditure would not balloon out of control. The setback for GDP growth would be limited, inflation would remain positive and gently growing, resulting in interest rates falling in real terms. By the time the upper gap is finally closed and monetary policy starts normalizing, fiscal plans would be well understood by the market and overshooting on credit risk premia can be avoided. Many accidents can derail such a roadmap, though. The Apple gap is notoriously difficult to pinpoint in real time. True also, governments cannot easily pre-commit beyond the mandate of sometimes volatile parliamentary majorities. In the case of the ECB, a lack of trust between member states is an obvious hurdle. But what we describe here is a possible quiet path, where fiscal authorities provide fiscal support while making it clear this is no runaway policy and that long-term fiscal sustainability will be ensured. We do not think this would jeopardize the independence of the central bank. The ECB would be entirely free to tighten monetary policy quickly if inflationary pressure were to re-emerge, while governments renege on their tightening pledge. Market discipline would then play its role, ultimately forcing governments into tougher fiscal retrenchments than what they would have implemented if they had acted early. Still, to work well, such cooperation between monetary and fiscal policy would benefit from an ex-ante, explicit trajectory sketched out by the governments. This would draw heavily on the current stability programs produced by member states as part of the EU fiscal surveillance, but in a more flexible way. Contrary to the EU Stability and Growth Pact and its automatic rebalancing clauses, exogenous setbacks and positive surprises on growth would delay or hasten the shift to fiscal tightening. To deal with the lack of precise real-time estimate of the output gap, governments could ex-ante define a target level for the unemployment rate under which it would shift to a fiscal tightening. If the unemployment rate, that is a good proxy of capacity underutilization, were to fall faster than expected, then the fiscal tightening would be brought forward. In our current baseline, a reduction in the structural deficit could be scheduled for 2023, voted in 2022. But if the labor market was close to equilibrium by the end of 2021, then starting the fiscal consolidation in 2022 already, voted in most countries in the late summer of 2021, would make sense. This week's focus. This week, we should definitely focus on Europe. Uh, two important meetings uh, towards the end of the week. On Thursday, we'll have uh, the ECB Governing Council meeting. Uh, the ECB doesn't need to announce uh, much this time. They've done quite a lot, actually, uh, recently. Uh, but maybe Christine Lagarde will have to uh, uh, clarify a few points. Uh, some other uh, governing council members of the last two weeks have um, mentioned the possibility that the ECB would not use the entirety of the money that uh, they have provisioned uh, to deal with uh, the current crisis. Uh, and actually, uh, in the latest data, the ECB has reduced its quantum of uh, purchases of, of bonds. 
It's probably just the reflection of the improvement in market conditions, and we expect Christine Lagarde to make this point uh, at the press conference. Plus, you know, again, some clarification would be needed. Uh, no one must uh, doubt uh, the strength of the commitment of the ECB. The following day on Friday, we'll have another European summit. They're supposed to make decisions on uh, the European Commission's uh, next generation pact, uh, the uh, Recovery and Resilience uh, Fund. We may get a sort of political decision in principle, but it's not going to be easy. And we may have to wait actually a bit longer for details. It's summer for everyone and your ears, just like everyone else, deserve a little rest. Uh, so the Macrocast podcast is taking a break, but the newsletter continues. Uh, the link is in the description of the episode for the most assiduous. Uh, the newsletter will take a break later in August. And for my part, I will continue to work on my accent. And uh, If you agree, we meet again in September with economy and music. Until then, have a great summer. Macrocast, the sound of the economic world. Available every Monday on your podcast app.